Hey, I'm Mike Russell from Music Radio Creative and welcome to the Adobe Audition podcast. Honoring 25 years of Adobe Audition, in this series of 25 episodes, I will interview power users of this awesome audio editing software. We'll reminisce back to the Cool Edit Pro days through to the introduction of multi-track editing and bring you right up to date with Adobe Audition CC and features like the Essential Sound Panel. This show is brought to you by the awesome audio gear giveaway. If you'd like the chance to win my perfect audio creator studio setup, head over to mrc.fm slash win and enter now. There will be mini prize draws every month with the final gear giveaway taking place at the end of September. That's mrc.fm slash win for a chance to win. Good luck. My guest today is Daryl Darnell. He began podcasting back in 2008 when he started a podcast about the TV show Fringe and then formed Golden Spiral Media in 2010. It now has more than three dozen podcasts covering sci-fi, comic genres, and has also been nominated for a dozen podcast awards, including winning Best Entertainment in 2010 uh, and TV and Film category in 2017. Then in 2013, Daryl took it up again left his corporate job and he'd held that job for 18 years. Uh, He started to become a a full-time entrepreneur, created Pro Podcast Solutions, which now serves podcasters around the globe with their production, their voiceovers, custom artwork, show notes, publishing, basically everything you could need as a podcaster. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you today. It's awesome to have you on. So I understand your primary door that you are working in uh, when you're working with podcasters or podcast editing is Adobe Audition. Tell us a little bit about how you're using that. Yeah, that's right. So we are exclusively in Adobe Audition house, if you will. Uh, we've just discovered over the years that uh, it, the versatility, the, the even the baked-in tool set that comes with it, um, is really, the, you know, it's what we need. We, st- I, honestly, Mike, I started my business using uh, Audacity. It was free and I was familiar with it and it was great. But then as we expanded with our clientele and then even our team members, some of them on Windows and some of them on Mac, and of course, the audio units that are built into a Mac, I had grown accustomed to using and my Windows guys weren't, they didn't have that tool set. And so we needed to figure something out. And, and I had beta tested Adobe Audition back in the day. And I was like, you know what? We're, we're making the switch over to Adobe Audition. And well, we haven't looked back since. That was several years ago. And it's it's uh, been just a wonderful... I, I can't imagine running my business without it, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's powerful and gives us everything we need. It's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. And like you say, the uh, the cross compatibility, those those audio units, though, they're a little bit tricky, aren't they? Uh, if you're if you're working on a Windows machine. So um, are you using uh, mainly the native effects in audition for podcast production? Or do you have any uh, plugins that you use as well? Yeah, our various editors have their own set of plugins that they're able to decide which ones work best. The ones that are baked into Adobe Audition are wonderful. Uh, I'm using a few others in addition to that that I've picked up, some of them from Hornet, some of them from uh, Akon over the years. Waves, I've got a few of theirs. And then, of course, the um, the RX, uh, Isotope RX plugins are just amazing. So I use those as well. Fantastic. Uh, so going back in time, looking at uh, all the years you've been working in, in podcast production and also uh, before that producing your own podcast and learning, I'm sure, from from others uh, in the industry, what would you say, uh, Daryl, is the best bit of audio production advice uh, you've ever received? 
Well, I think it goes back to what I was just talking about with all those plugins that are out there, the ones that come stock with Adobe Audition and all the great ones that are available from Waves and Isotope, et cetera, et cetera. It's really easy to to just keep tweaking and, and adding a plugin here or adding an EQ there or, you know, just layering in, particularly in the multi-track editor where you can have your effects rack. You can just, the, it's easy to just keep piling in effects and go, oh, I hear this. Let me put in an effect or, or tweak something to, to adjust that. And before you know it, you've just got it layered with different effects. And so it's really easy in that situation to overbake your audio, if you will. You know, kind of like when you're, when you're baking in the kitchen, oh, I'm going to just throw this in and throw this in, throw this in. And before you know it, you've got too many ingredients into that thing. And so um, it's really wise just to kind of, okay, I've got all this stuff in here, but do I need all this stuff in here? Let's, let's turn these things off and let's really listen to this cleanly and make sure that these things aren't working against each other. Almost like a doctor over prescribing medicine, you know, like we've got one medication that's actually working against something else. So um, don't overbake your audio, you know, really take a, a listen to what you've got before you export that and make sure that you're not overbaking it. That's very good advice. And uh, certainly if you've got really clean audio at source anyway to start with, you really shouldn't need to do that much with it. It's when you get those bits of audio that have hiss in the background or, or sound terrible, then you have to work a little bit harder. But I think that's that's definitely solid advice, especially for podcasting, which you, you tend to go for more of a natural sound, don't you, when producing podcasts? Would I be right in saying that? Yeah. Editing podcast is a completely different type of editing than music, for example. I mean, your, your, your source is obviously different. You're working with human voice. It's often in mono. And then even what you're trying to accomplish is completely different. But, but, um, and you need to be mindful of that. I mean, some people who come from a, an audio production background, um, I'm not saying they can't do podcasts and they absolutely can, but it's, a, but it's a different mentality, a different type of approach that we're taking when we're editing that. But, but you're right when you say it's a, it's those most difficult ones, you know, the ones that, the audio comes to us sounding really, really not good. I want to be, I want to be kind and just say it's not good. Those are the ones that it's easy to overbake and uh, it's a different approach for sure. Definitely. So talking about, um, you know, projects that you get that sometimes can, can challenge you, like for instance, the, the bad audio quality and bits like that. What would you say over the years uh, from the different clients you've worked with, what, what has been one of the most challenging projects you've worked on? Oh, wow. Well, okay. So it always goes back to those, those really junky sounding audios. And so for example, we had, I think it was six people sharing four microphones, all sitting around a living room, none of them using good mic technique. You know, they really just had these four mics just kind of scattered around the room. I think they were sitting in a circle on some sofas and some stuff. So none of them are even, you know, up to the microphone. And it was just a nightmare trying to get this to sound. We had another one a few weeks ago where uh, there was a professional voiceover that the client had provided and it sounded great. It wasn't professional like you would do or even my team would do. It was really, really good though. The person who did it had a nice voice and they were up on the mic and stuff like that. It was just not quite the standard that you would expect, but it was really close to pro. It was really, really high quality. And then they, the audio came in for the episode and they had, you know, stuck a blue Yeti in the middle of a conference room and with around three people. And when we gave them the audio back, they said, wait a minute, I thought you were going to be able to make that, you know, that main audio sound as good as that voiceover part that we, we gave you. 
and they were mic'd completely different. It was a completely different recording environment too. And I was like, no, that can't, that can't be matched to that degree, you know? And so those are challenges that, again, just trying to, to work with the client to, to meet expectations. Somewhere there was a miscommunication there on what they thought we were capable of doing. And I'm like, you can get the best audio engineer in the world. They're not going to make a blue Yeti with three people in the middle of a conference room sound like a professionally voiced, you know, um, professionally mic'd voiceover artist. It's just not possible. So those are challenges that we face. But sometimes it's just communicating and, and trying to get the client to, to get things set up the right way. Absolutely. And I think that's key, encouraging your client or the person recording to set things up in the right way initially, or if they're going out on the field and they're recording audio out and about, that they get it in as good quality as possible or using the right mic technique. I mean, on on a weekly basis, I I will get emails asking about removing certain noises and sounds. And some of them are really challenging, like um, particularly in in sermons, removing uh, coughing and other noises in the background while uh, the the, the main person is speaking, Uh, stuff like that. I'm I'm sure that stuff you, you would get quite a bit, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And then some people don't mind those sorts of things because they had the ambiance or they just don't, they don't mind those sorts of things. But yeah, some people want every little nick, you know, uh, cut out of it or edited out of it. And and that's oftentimes, in my opinion, to their detriment or they'll want every little um removed, even the removing it, you know, makes it, makes it sound unnatural or choppy. And we try to coach them to, there's some of that, that that is natural and makes it sound better. It's easier to listen to, but at the end of the day, you know, some people want it taken out anyway, and it, it's it makes it challenging for sure. That's interesting. And on that topic of of editing out, how much discretion would you use, sort of, uh, when working with a client, of how much you remove from the content of the podcast? So, would you over time just work out what content stays in and stays out, or um, or do you try and leave as much content in as possible unless it gets really rambly? Yeah, that's hard because we don't we don't claim to be professionals on on content. Uh, we we don't know what you're talking about to the degree that you do talking about the client here and so we we really try not to be the judge of what the what the best content is now having said that sometimes and well I'll just back up and say so over time you know if we've worked with a client for for a long time and there's been good communication on what they're looking for then yeah we can learn and adapt but certainly with a brand new client we we don't claim to be able to do any type of content you know, curation. We, we want them to kind of tell us what the good spots are and what the bad spots are. And we can, we can go clean that up that way. Um, and, but there are times where you work with a client over time and you kind of build that rapport. And, and those, there's one client that comes to mind in particular, we've been working together for almost two years now. And, you know, she and I, you know, I'll give her an edit and she'll give me comments back. And, and now we've got it really down to a a fine science. I mean, it's rare that we have to do a re-edit with her because we're scrubbing out all the bad stuff. We've been able to figure those things out over time. So it can happen, but, but it needs to take time. They're the professionals on what the good content is. And we look for communication from them to be able to clean that out. I like that. So since 2013, you've worked um, together with many of the well-known uh, podcasters. Before that, uh, you've started up your own podcast. But I'm curious, Daryl, if there's any cool project that you haven't told anyone about yet that you're really keen to work on in the future. 
You know, I wouldn't say that it was something that I would personally like to do, maybe maybe once. But, you know, as you mentioned, my background in podcasting stems from the TV and film industry. And so I would love to just be a fly on the wall and go into a major studio and watch them capture voices, you know, in, in studio, like voiceover type of stuff, or even see how they mic stuff on set. And I've seen videos and stuff like that, but I'd love to just follow along the whole trail from when the audio is captured all the way to when it gets into the sound engineer studio and watch how they do their magic. Again, doing film work is a different type of technique than what we employ as podcasters, but it's very similar. And I know that I'd learn a lot of stuff and I would think it would just be fun just to watch them do their magic. I have so much respect for what they do and how they're able to match audio that's captured from different mics and different environments and and things like that. So I think it would be fun just to kind of tag along and watch the professionals and, and the film and TV industry do their magic. Would you ever have a dream to have, say, uh, a premises, like a fully baked uh, podcast production studio, you know, kind of almost going Leo Laporte style, but for podcast production? Uh, I don't know. Not really. I mean, Yes, I love what Leo's doing and, and I look at his studio and I just think it's amazing. But that's a completely different type of thing than what I'm doing. If if I were doing more front front facing podcasting, then then yeah. I mean, like I've built my studio here with with multiple uh, recording bays and webcams and lighting and stuff like that. So that when we do, we used to do a lot of you know live streaming and stuff like that. But in terms of what I do for production, not really because it it's all behind the scenes stuff. So I, I, I don't want the expense of having a, um, a storefront or a, a retail front or whatever, you know, that, that, that dedicated space and all that. So nah, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm really content with being able to do that in my house. Yeah, in my house. And that is the beauty of podcasting. I guess the fact that you don't necessarily need a shop front, it's all online. Um, you can collaborate and work with people, uh, around the world, just, uh, remotely, uh, using some of these tools. Like for instance, now we're recording this podcast using Zencaster, which is fantastic. It's, uh, it's taking my side of the audio, uh, Daryl's side of the audio, it's stitching them both together and, um, gives the finished product so that it sounds like we're, we're in the same room. So I can, I can totally see that. That's interesting. You say you've got your studio kitted out, um, for, for live streaming and webcasting. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. I'm curious to know uh, what it looks like and how you use that. Yeah, it's changed over the years. It used to be that we would stream every week when we recorded our podcast, the Fringe podcast. So my co-host would come in studio. Uh, we've got a we've got two desks here that are in a T formation. So I'm in one bay, he's in the other. We'd have a webcam on the far wall and it would just give us a one shot of the of kind of a one wide shot and in the middle we'd have a monitor between us that might show our our podcast logo or or something like that we've kind of we've kind of gone away from from that that setup is still here when i record with my daughter we do a stranger things podcast called the stranger things podcast and we still record in that way but if we're going to do a live stream we'll do multiple webcams so we're kind of in a side by side shot or uh i've got one wall that's filled with all kind of pop culture toys. And so we can move the cameras around and it gets a natural light from a window or if it's in the evening, we've got some lighting that we can do. And we can use those toys as a backdrop and either use a bar stool or uh, we can stand in that location and do. So when we do unboxing, if we get some new toys or something in, 
we'll use that as our unboxing you know location and so it's a neat little fun backdrop because again we're doing tv pop culture podcasting nice i love it uh so you uh, obviously you've been in audio uh, for for a long time, and uh, most of the time, uh, with most of the people, certainly with myself and other guests that have been on this show, uh, we talk about their childhood and when it was they first kind of thought, "Yes, audio is for me." And I really like the fact, Daryl, that you said you actually record a podcast with your daughter. I think it's fantastic uh, to introduce children uh, to audio from a young age and to, to this whole world of podcasting. I'm curious for you. Uh, what maybe one of your first memories was around audio that made you smile and made you think, hmm, this is something I'm interested in. Back to the interview in a moment, but if you want to win my perfect audio creator setup, head over to mrc.fm slash win. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of those childhood memories that where I was like, oh yeah, this is where I want to do it. But after I got into podcasting, there was one thing that occurred to me, and it took me years to even remember this, but one day I was like, oh my gosh, Maybe that was the first time I, you know, that, that there was a connection there. And I can remember, I used to have, I grew up and I was a child of the 80s and I grew, I had this uh, little radio, little boom box type of thing. A lot of us had a little cassette in the middle, a couple of speakers and an FM radio tuner. And it had, you know, like most cassette players had the ability to record. And so I can remember just laying on my bed one day, playing around with that. I had this cassette tape. I don't know if it was one that I had taped over so I could make it into a blank tape or if it was a blank tape that was, you know, that I'd purchased. But I can remember just sitting there recording, like journaling about my day. It was really an audio journal when I think about it. And and I was just talking about some things that happened at school that day, some of the weird things that some of the kids had done. There was a guy named Brian. I remember Brian had done something. He'd shaved his head, I think, that day. And so he came, he came to school. Brian with a shaved head, which was just bizarre. <laughs> no one shaved their head back in those days, especially kids. And I remember just sitting there t- just talking about my day at school, recording it, and then rewinding it and listening to my voice. And I just thought, wow, my voice sounds so much different than what I thought it sounded like. Because that's natural. Our inner ear hears it differently than, than other folks. And so be, that's kind of the earliest thing I can remember. Um, but I think most of us also, and probably maybe somewhat today, who grew up when, when radio was really the best way to, to get music, uh, calling in and trying to get a request on the radio. And maybe they might even, you know, play your request. Hey, this came in from Daryl and he wants to hear, you know, you give love a bad name by Bon Jovi or whatever it was. And it was like that really cool, like, Oh my gosh, I made it on the radio. I had that same type of experience the first time my feedback got played on a podcast. I used to listen to Cliff Ravenscraft's Lost podcast. That's what got me into podcasting. And the first time he played my feedback, it was that same experience. Like, oh my gosh, I made it on the podcast. And so that was really what that was from that moment on. I was like, the the bug bit me on podcasting. And I was like, okay, this is something that, that I'm going to continue pursuing. That's really cool. I really like those stories. So yeah, back in the 80s, a podcaster or practicing at podcasting before it even existed as a medium. And yeah, I, <laughs> before I, I I got into radio and worked in radio myself, I, I have memories of, of calling into stations. And those were the days where uh, playlists weren't strictly enforced. So if you asked for a song, you genuinely did stand a chance of having it played with all the formatted radio today. That's that's pretty unlikely, unless you request something that's on the, on the hot list 
right then. Um, I always used to be a, a big caller into uh, into talk radio stations as well to um, to speak to the on air presenters about whatever topic they were talking about. Usually it was uh, it was UFOs or <laughs> some, something of that that subject. But yeah, it's the the, the buzz of actually getting through to the on air host, uh, or as you later mentioned, you know, getting through to, to, to Cliff uh, with his lost podcast and actually getting a, a piece played on on the on the air, as it were, um, is is exciting. And I, I think it's it's amazing that that can actually be replicated in the world of podcasting. If you just think as a podcast host, the the kind of ability you have to connect with your listener by doing things like that. It's fantastic. So yeah, brilliant. Um, I really want to get now uh, deeper into your Adobe Audition usage, Daryl. I'd also like to ask you a question about some resources and and of course the gear you're using there because I think that's very important. Um, So let's start with Adobe Audition and if you had to pick out one feature, only one feature from uh, this wonderful piece of software, what would be your favorite thing in Adobe Audition? Just one? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, if I had to pick one, I would pick the spectral view editing, the power of the spectral view, because the waveform editor is wonderful. There's a lot that can be done there. And maybe it's because, as, as I said earlier, I came from an Audacity background, and Audacity has a spectral view. But in terms of what you can edit within that view, it's pretty limited. It's more of a, you use it to go look for things, and then you need to attack those things from a different source a plug-in or an eq or something like that but the power of the spectral view in adobe audition is you can you can edit it from within there i can see that that's that ambulance siren i can see you know so many different things that phone dinging or, or whatever it is and i can eliminate those from within the spectral view i can see that plosive i can see that low frequency oh yeah here's the frequency where that hum is coming from now let me go you know, uh, get that with an EQ or a notch filter or something like that to to get that out of my recording. So the spectral view, I mean, it's just so powerful what you can learn from and actually do from within that view. So that's probably my favorite thing. Agreed, agreed. Spectral view, I usually always have that on by default um, when I'm editing. And yeah, particularly for picking up noises or mouth clicks. Um, I'm really curious, as, as you were talking about the uh, Audacity, I see it's called spectro- Spectrogram, Spectrogram in Audacity. And um, it doesn't, from what I can see, it doesn't have the kind of scrubbing tools that Audition has. Is that correct? So you can't actually edit directly into the spectrogram. I find that really hard to say. Spectrogram in Audacity. Is that right? Uh, you you have to use something like an EQ uh, to, to, to edit it manually. Is that right? That's, I believe so. It's been a while since I've used Audacity. So the, and they've released several updates with them. I'm actually part of a, a, a Facebook group of some with some of the Audacity engineers. And so I... I do kind of see when they make updates, but I don't use it as a DAW. So my experience with that, they may have changed it since the last time I used it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But but the last time I was using it as a DAW, which was several years ago, yeah, it was it was exactly that. You you couldn't actually scrub and, and do cleanup from within that spectral view. Or, or, yeah, they do call it something slightly different, which is, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And that's uh, the the spectral view. What I really like about that is the fact that you can marquee select frequencies. You can use a paintbrush to paint. Uh, have you ever had a play with the uh, the spot healing brush tool as well in there? Yeah, I have. Most recently, I don't know if you know Christy House or she has a, a fantastic podcast production called uh, or company called Team Podcast. And 
She shared that tip with me just a few weeks ago. I typically will use the paintbrush. Let's, let's pretend I've got some clicking and uh, you, missed, you mentioned the mouth clicks. And that's something that I use it for as well. So if I've got some mouth clicks. I'll go in there with my paintbrush, kind of make the head the size I need it to and, and just kind of stroke those out lightly. And, and I may do a couple of strokes so that I don't over, overdo it the first time. And so I'll stroke it and hit the delete button. And that works really nicely. Uh, the, the auto heal is what she uses. And so it's more of a, just a one click and then done. There's no button press to go along with it. And it works really, really well. So I'm, I'm playing back and forth right now because you're kind of up to the software to do it for you. Of course, you can undo it. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm playing with it now between the paintbrush and the auto heal on some of those decisions to see which one I like better. But it's, it's been really good so far. Brilliant. And what about um, amazing workflows or time-saving shortcuts for Adobe Audition? How does Daryl edit a podcast? What have you got hot keyed up? Uh, I'm really interested to know what your workflow's like and, and what you would recommend for people. Yeah. For me, like my monitor is a 34-inch ultra-wide monitor, so I can see a whole lot of audio at one time. I think that's good, although not required. I, I worked off of a 27-inch iMac for the longest time, and that worked extremely well, too. Um, I use Apple's Magic Mouse, their stock Magic Mouse. I love it. I know a lot of people don't or they want extra buttons or whatever, but, you know, it can it can do the right click and a, a sideways scroll and, and up and down scroll. It does everything I need it to do. I love it. And I use Apple's stock numeric keyboard. And so those are those are my setups. I don't use a specialized keyboard or anything like that. But the biggest thing that I have found to, to save time are keyboard shortcuts. Adobe Audition has them baked in, of course. Learn those. But the other thing that I do is I move, I take off, I've identified the ones that I want, the, the either the plugins or even the commands that I use the most, whether it's a delete or ripple delete all tracks or just delete this section on the single track. You know, you've got so many delete options that are great. Noise, maybe you want to use your noise filter or your some other, I use a declicker that I have on a hotkey, things like that. I will move all of those to the left-hand side of my keyboard. I'm a right-handed guy, so left is my non-dominant hand. So my right hand's able to stay on my mouse, and I use it for navigating through the, through the audio. Never have to lift my hand off there, so that's saving me time. And I take all those keyboard shortcuts that I use for the tools I use the most, and I move them to a single key. I rename them to a single key in the left-hand position. So I never have to move my hand around. So as I'm editing audio, my hands aren't moving. I'm not losing time by extra button keys. Even though second button key, like a command X or something like that, is two button presses. And those add up. It's like pennies in a jar. You know, if you ever say pennies in a jar or, you know, if you maybe do that now or we did that when we were kids, those add up and suddenly you've got a enough time to go or money to go on a family vacation to Six Flags or whatever amusement park is in your neck of the woods. And so that's the same thing with multiple button presses, single button press, non-dominant hand so that my, my hands never have to leave their position because all of that little, those little seconds add up. And I've found that that saves me an immense amount of time uh, when I'm, when I'm editing editing audio. I love that. Yeah. That right there, single button presses is an 
awesome tip. Um, and I, I would say, yeah, when, I, when I'm using single keys on a keyboard, I would even look at the key letters and try and associate them with a word. So um, uh, at one time I was using Q for quiet, N for normalize, V for vocal processing, things like that. So yeah, definitely, because some of them, uh, for instance, I, I often use save selection as, and I think that's command, option, control, <laughs> and S. You're going to have to do acrobatics with your fingers to, to get all those keys down at once, especially if you're using one hand. Um, so brilliant, brilliant stuff. I've got like the, to toggle between multi-track and, and spectral view or, or multi-track and single track editor. I've got to toggle uh, one key for that for my zoomings, for my exports, the exports. To, if, do I want to export the time selection or the entire project? I've got those set to single key uh, shortcuts. You know, everything that you're using in your standard workflow Put those to single keys, and and I again I move them to the left side of the keyboard, so I don't have to move my hands around and try to do acrobatics. Nice, nice. And you've actually got me thinking there, where you, you talk about exporting. I'm curious as a, um, a pro podcast producer uh, working with many podcasters, what kind of quality, what bit rate, and obviously I, I would imagine you're exporting as an MP3 file. What are your standard settings? Do you have standard settings? Does it vary from client to client? Uh, what are you shooting for? I think that would be really interesting to know. Sure. Clients do have the ability, to, if they've got a preference, we, we go with that. Uh, unless it's just some sort of outlandish preference, like if they want to export as a wave and actually publish as a wave, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we're going to highly rail against that. Um, but yeah, MP3, our standard is either 128 stereo, 441, um, and, 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 the, and then of course 128 bit rate, um, or we'll do 80 um, kilobits per second mono, which is a little bit higher quality, you know, technically speaking. Uh, we we could go 64 mono and still be the same as 128 stereo. Um, for me, it's it's more of a mental thing. I think why I do 80, it's like okay, it's a it's a smaller file size, which is great. But why don't we use that smaller file size and get a little bit better quality out of it? It's it's I should probably just do 64. I've just never been able to talk myself out of it. So we do 80 mono or 128 stereo. Love it. That's cool. Uh, what about your uh, go-to resources? And uh, let's talk about kit as well, gear that you've got in your podcast production studio. What What is it for you, Daryl, that you're uh, looking towards or using yourself? Well, in terms of editing, you know, I mentioned some of that already with the keyboard, the mouse, the the monitor. Um, for for my uh, earphones, I've got some Audio-Technica uh, MX-50s, I believe is what they're called. I, I should pull them over, but you know they're on my head. So um, <laughs> um, that, that's what I'm using. In terms of recording gear, my mic is an uh, Electro-Voice RE320. I'm running everything through um, a Soundcraft EPM6 audio mixer that goes into my Mac from, via Scarlett 2i2 audio interface. and I'm running a, a DBX166XL compressor limiter gate. Um, that's, yeah, that's what I'm running hardware-wise. Excellent. And do you think actually, um, it's good to hear you have a DBX. I have the uh, the 286S. Um, do you think it's uh, worth uh, podcasters in particular getting some kind of mic preamp and processor uh, in between uh, their microphone and their audio interface? It depends. I do not recommend podcasters getting a gate most of them don't know how to use it and they're going to chop off words and we can't add in words in post-production we i would rather do a gate um in post-production but in terms of an audio or mic preamp 
sometimes it, it kind of depends on their setup. If they're like an SM7B from Sure, wonderful microphone. It's a gain hog. Even my Electro Voice 320 or RE320 or High LPR40, those can really be gain hog microphones. And so a Scarlet, a lot of podcasters will run that mic into a Scarlet and then run that into their, uh, their computer for recording that way. And that can work really well, but it can also really tax that preamp on the Scarlet. And if they're getting some line hiss, then that's the point where you might want to consider a mic preamp. The one you have is excellent, by the way. And that's the one that I recommend if, if they want to go that route. So it, I think it depends on, on uh, what their current preamp is like and, and what their microphone is. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You cannot add words back in. Uh, and with the gate being so easy to apply in post, yeah, definitely. Unless you unless you know what you're doing and you set it up uh, at, at a sweet spot, um, let that kind of thing happen in post. Really, really good stuff. Um, so just to wrap up before we uh, finish, uh, for somebody listening right now uh, who's thinking of getting into this whole industry, into the audio creation, uh, audio production, podcast production industry, what would be your one piece of advice to that young person right now hoping to, uh, to make a career out of this? Well, if they're a young person, one thing that I, has occurred to me, and I think it's mostly from observing my kids and, and their friends, and I, this isn't, I don't mean this to sound derogatory, because they're kids. And, and if, but if we're talking about real kids here, um, kids want to be things, but they don't necessarily want to become those things. So in other words, you might say, I want to be an audio engineer for a film studio or a music studio or whatever. I want to, I want to create my own music. I want to be a music creator or music producer or what have you. That's great. But what are you doing to become that? You know, are you spending your time just playing video games all day? That's great. Kids need to do that. But at some point, if you really want to be that, you have to choose to become that. And so I would just say, get out there and get your hands dirty and get to work with whatever you can create your own recordings and, and figure out how to make those better. Um, if you're more advanced, you've been doing it for a while, try to get out there as a freelancer and get work, go to school, take classes at a, at a Votech or a college or online. Mike, you've got some great tutorial videos that you've created and have put out there on places like Udemy and learn from people and but it comes down to actually doing it and actually becoming you don't get better unless you do and i wouldn't be doing what i do now as a full-time podcast producer if i hadn't first started you know creating my own podcast and editing those i i was my first victim if you will and i learned a lot by editing myself so just get out there and do it you know don't 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 hope to be something one day without being willing to become that now. Love it. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, follow that passion, chase the dream down, learn as much as you can. Brilliant. Daryl, thank you so much. This has been an enlightening conversation. And I'm curious if um, anybody is interested to know more about you, uh, where's the, the one place you'd point somebody to uh, to find out more about you and maybe connect with you online? Yeah, my website is propodcastsolutions.com. That's where we do all the work for podcasters. And if you happen to be curious about what we're doing in the, in the, for our own podcast and the 
TV and film genres with sci-fi and comic stuff. That's goldenspiralmedia.com. Awesome. Well, Daryl, it's been exciting. It's been fun. And thanks for joining me on the show. Mike, it's always great chatting with you, man. It's It's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. That concludes this episode. Would you like an extra chance to win the awesome audio gear giveaway? Hit subscribe and review this podcast, then email the details to podcast at mrc.fm for an extra entry into the awesome audio gear giveaway. Good luck.